Job chapter 13. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Let me have silence, and I will speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things. Then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chafe? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Since his days are not determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass, look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again till the heavens are no more. He will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. But the mountain falls and crumbles away. And the rock is removed from its place. The waters wear away the stones. The torrents wash away the soil of the earth. So you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. He feels only the pain of his own body, and he mourns only for himself. Thanks be to God for his holy word. There are many questions that will go unanswered in life. Oftentimes we feel... Inadequate because we don't have all the answers that many people ask of us. We live in frustration because we don't have the answers for ourselves. And 
some answers that we are looking for are not found in the scriptures. Unfortunately, this reality drives many people to leave the faith. They come to church because they are looking for answers, and when they don't find the answers they're looking for, or the answers that are suitable to them, they leave. They begin to look for answers in other places. Maybe they look to false religion or mysticism. Maybe they go on a quest for illegitimate religious experiences. On the other hand, some run to science as if science is at odds with religion. Some run to history or discovery as if God is not the author of history and the one who placed the artifacts where they are to leave men in awe of who he is. See, modern day science, history, and medicine helps to answer a lot of questions concerning life on earth and how to maintain our health, but they do not answer the metaphysical and supernatural questions that we think of most. They do not have the answers for the things that are unseen, like what happens when I die? Is this all that there is? Do I cease to exist? Do I have a soul or do the cells that keep my body alive just stop? And is it just this black hole for all eternity? Where do we turn where there is a sure sign of hope to be found? If it is not in worldly spiritual experiences or in human scientific investigations. See, Job's initial questions that will go unanswered will be, why? Why do I suffer? Why am I even alive if it is just to suffer? His friends came along and tried to answer these questions, but they came up with the wrong conclusions and solutions. They said he must have been guilty of sin and he needs to repent, that would end his suffering. Those answers were unsuitable to Job because he knew that he was right before God. So that led him to tell his friends to be quiet. He rejected their false accusations and solutions and he will now turn to God. He said, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Behold, he will kill me. I have no hope, yet I will argue my ways to his face. He knew that all roads led to God and that God had all the answers. But it is up to God to choose the answers he desires to give us and when. Because now, first knowing that man is few of days and full of trouble, Job will ask, I know I'm going to die soon, so will I live again? Is there any hope beyond the grave? In a strange way, Job answers his own questions by what he says. Now we're in the middle of Job's third response to his friends in the first wave of speeches. He rejected what his friends have said so far, and now he makes his case to God. So in chapter 13, verse 20, he turns and begins to speak to God while his friends listen. He makes his request, only grant me two things, then I will not. What? He will not be like Adam. 
He says, I will not hide myself from your face. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, sinners are marked by hiding from God because of their sin. But Job proves that he is God's seed. And he says he will not. But under two conditions, of course. That God withdraw his hand far from him. And let not the dread of God terrify him. This means he wants some momentary relief from his misery. So that he would be able to stand before God. He desires God's kindness. Which leads to repentance. He knows he cannot stand otherwise in the presence of God. He cannot stand based on his works. Or based on his morality. Or based on what he has achieved in his life. He knows That he needs momentary relief from God's anger. If God grants him these two things. Then Job will answer God's call. And appear before him as a defendant before a judge. He says then call. And I will answer. Or let me speak. And you reply to me. He wants a fair trial and a hearing from God. His deepest desire is to appear before God. And be vindicated. This ought to be the believer's deepest desire as we understand our present condition and state. How often do we understand this? How often do we understand what we are under as we are living in this world? As we are living under sin and misery. We still share in some of the miseries of life and we still battle with our sin. But how often are we rather distracted by the cares of this world and oftentimes content. But he believes that if he appears before God and argues his case, God will find him innocent. But this line of thinking is limited and faulty. Because it is suggesting that one, Job is suffering because he is guilty of something. And not because he lives in a fallen world. And two, it would be accusing God of being too severe. As if God is the one on trial. Now Job does recognize, uh, as Eliphaz said back in chapter 5, that man is born to trouble. Also, that man is mortal and we're only here for a short period of time. He recognized that the cause of all human pain and suffering is sin. But what he didn't quite understand was that it is not always because of personal sin that we suffer. Because we not only inherited sin and the curse of death from Adam, we also inherited the misery that comes with a fallen world. It seems like Job may be believing the lie that he was suffering because of sin, but really he was questioning why God was treating him as an enemy because he knew he was right in God's sight. He believed that his sins were covered by the sacrifices that he offered. At least he thought he was forgiven. But he is being treated as if he was not. So he asks the question wondering, how bad is it? How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? He even suggests that God was bullying him. Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chafe, something that is already dried up and dead? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. Now there is something we must understand. That since our youth, even as believers, we have been incurring more and more debt when it comes to sin. 
And Job says that God has been keeping track since his youth. And he holds it against him. But the truth is, if Job is God's seed. And a believer. Just like all believers. Then he would be considered a blessed one. Listen to Paul. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He no longer counts the believer's sin against him. But instead, Job felt as if God has imprisoned him in a living hell. You put my feet in the stocks. Now, these are the old uh, foot restraints uh, used to publicly humiliate criminals for their offenses. Uh, We're used to seeing the head and arm restraints in the movies, right? Made out of wood. And he continues to say that God watches all his paths. He, He set a limit for the soles of his feet. He is trapped under his judgment and misery. He is lacking assurance. You could imagine his confusion. Imagine a believer thinking this way. It is contradictory to God's loving promises of the adoption of sons. Also, Job recognizes the brevity of life. And because of sin that we inherited from Adam, man is now mortal. Life is short. And we're all in a state of decay. Many of us know that as the days pass, we're getting older and our bodies are falling apart. He says, man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. In other words, since man is full of sin and mortal... He is so frail and wastes away so easily and quickly. What hope does he have to stand before an eternal, infinite, and holy God who does not change? Who doesn't grow old and waste away like we do? What will be the status of a rotten creature before God's throne? Will we appear before God in rotted flesh? Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you. Our days are numbered, folks. And none of us know when our last day will be. And you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone. Again, he repeats what he said back in chapter 7, verse 16. Leave me alone. That he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. He is saying to God. Please just allow this man to enjoy his toil on this planet, then die. Because death would be a brief relief from pain and misery of this world. Though Job is mistaken on some points, this is true of the human condition. This is the reality of the human problem. There is sin, which is uh, the transgression of God's law, and it places all of humanity... In enmity with God. And as a result of sin. Man is cursed with misery in life. And cursed with death at the end of life. 
So human life is made up of pursuits, of little pleasures, seeking for answers in other places other than God and idols that will distract us from this reality. This all sounds hopeless. What is the point of life on earth? Is there any hope? A a common question that is asked, is there life after death? Because this life seems hopeless. What is the point of it? Job answers that question unintentionally and then he walks it back. Because he points out that judging by nature, there is hope. For there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. As long as the roots of a tree is intact, there is hope once it dies. Wouldn't you think that Job would have reasoned the same way when he considered man? If the roots of a man was intact, then when he dies, wouldn't there still be hope for life thereafter? If he is rooted in God, isn't there hope for him in the life to come? But unfortunately, that is not how he reasons when he turns to man. He observes in nature that there is hope for the tree, but not for man. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last. And where is he? Once man dies, he is buried and there is no return. You don't see him again. As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, So a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Once the eyelids close in death, there is no return to this world. So what is he saying here? Is he just giving up hope? No, he is saying by all appearances, there is no hope for man because when he dies, he is seen no more. But then he seems to contradict himself when he says... Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol. That you would conceal me until your wrath be passed. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. But Job, if you're dead and buried, and you're in the grave, how will God remember you? See, Job believes in an all-powerful God, who is also eternal. And as long as there is such a God, then there must be something beyond this life. And life cannot end as long as God is God. Because God is life. He is the basis and the author of life. So there is an unseen reality. Is there something beyond this world? Is there life after death? How many people ask this question or wonder about this when they hear the news of their terminal illness? Or those who have a family member who is lying on a hospital bed. Awaiting the inevitable. So he asks the question. If a man dies, shall he live again? I would wait till my renewal should come. If a man dies, shall he live again? He is trying to reason. Well, if God is God and God is life, then he must. So he would await his redemption and when he would finally appear before God. Because if there is life after death then this is evidence that God forgives sin and somehow deals with sin. 
The resurrection is proof that our sin is forgiven. Job reveals that he loves his God and is waiting to live in God's love. He desires a personal relationship that will last for all eternity. He says, you would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag. And you would cover over my iniquity. The language to cover over is reminiscent. Or should I say foreshadowing. The mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, I say foreshadowing because Job came before Moses. In the nation of Israel. Though the book was written afterwards. And the reason why the mercy seat covered over the ark, which contained the testimony or the law of God, was because that is where sinners found mercy after the high priest sprinkled blood over it as an atonement for sin. And this, of course, foreshadowed Jesus' work on the cross as he shed his own blood as an atonement for sin. In that final and perfect sacrifice, our sin has been sealed up in a bag, gone for all eternity, never to be brought up again. And our iniquity is covered over and the Lord's wrath passes us by. As Paul says, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Though the resurrection doesn't answer all the questions Job may have had, But it is the ultimate answer to the human problems of sin, misery, and death. It is the hope of mankind. And Job would have hope if there is a resurrection because he would finally be in a right relationship with God. But if sin is not dealt with, nothing will change for man. Man will continue in death and misery forever. And notice... As it has been the pattern of Job, right when you see a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of the light of the gospel, he walks it back into despair once again. Many of you probably experience the same back and forth in your own life, from the truth of who you are in Christ, back to despair, as you notice all that is wrong with your life and all that is wrong in the world. Because the world in and of itself is hopeless. And for this moment, it seems that his hope is once again extinguished. He is a bit of a pessimist. And he claims it is because we are all under God's judgment. It seems like there was hope in God's creation. But now he says, but the mountains fall and crumbles away. And the rock is removed from its place. The waters wear away the stones. The torrents wash away the soil of the earth. So you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. He is saying he separates man from those he loves most. God divides his people in judgment. He divides mothers from their daughters and fathers from their sons. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he perceives it not. He feels only the pain of his own body and he mourns only for himself. He is cast out all alone and under judgment. The earth and all that is in it is in a state of decay. 
And this is compared to the hope of man. The hope of man is in the state of decay as he is left all alone. According to Job, God destroys the hope of man and this is evident in how everything around seems to just fade away and pass away. And just like creation, man will soon pass away. This is a lament over the way things are in this world. There is an irreversible erosion of all things. It's kind of like when you buy a brand new car. And you say to yourself, I'm going to keep this baby spotless. You feel good about having something new until you get the first scratch. And it drives you absolutely crazy. Then after years go by, you can't even count the scratches. And you see the first sign of rust. And you say to yourself, ah, this is hopeless. Why even wash the thing anymore? I need a new one. Isn't that how we feel about our bodies? It gets to a point where the damage is irreversible. And we say to ourselves, I think I need a new one. But for Job, this erosion, this decay of all that has life in this world was a sign of God's judgment. And he is saying that God's judgment is irreversible. Now, is that true? Now, it is true. We see the curse of God displayed all around us because of our sin. But is it true that it is irreversible? Is what God promised to Eve when he promised that the serpent would one day be crushed by her seed and all that has been done because of sin will be undone? Is that what he promised? Now it is true that after man fell into sin, God cursed both man and the ground in which he was called to cultivate. Since then, nothing has been the same. Everything and everyone around us is under judgment in the curse of God. But the question is, is it reversible? This is when we turn to the fulfillment of Job's hypothetical hope. When our Lord Jesus Christ walked this earth, the first words that he proclaimed was, The time is fulfilled. The hope that Job was looking forward to has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That is, turn from, not only from your sin, but all the faulty philosophies and religions you believed in before, and believe in the gospel. Now when he said that the kingdom was at hand, it was because the king had come, and the king was going to make the way for his disciples to enter into this everlasting kingdom. But the road into that kingdom was not going to be an easy road. Neither for him nor for those who follow him. Not only because Jesus was going to face opposition, but also because his kingdom was not of this world. He was not just saying that it doesn't operate the same way as the kingdoms of the world operate. He was saying that, but also because it is heavenly. As Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So when Jesus walked this earth as the king of his creation, he identified with and suffered for lowly sinners. He lived the life of Job to make a way for Job to stand before God. 
So what Job was pleading for here in this text comes true when Jesus accomplishes his work. Jesus felt all the horrors of life and death and lived through the same miseries as Job and as all of us. He lived in a world that was under the judgment of God. He was surrounded by death and decay. Though he was without sin, he suffered the same infirmities from the fall. Jesus also witnessed and confronted a false religious system led by the Pharisees and scribes, just as Job did when he confronted his friend's false religious system. Imagine the Lord of heaven and earth who created all things good, took on flesh, lived in a dying world, who would himself take on the ultimate curse of death in our place. And he didn't suffer because he was a sinner, no, because he was sure that he would stand perfectly righteous and holy before God and he would be vindicated when he was raised and exalted to his right hand. And God would accept his perfect sacrifice that would pay the penalty for sin on behalf of all God's people. Christians are called to place all our hope in this God whom they love and long to meet after death. Because in Christ and in his resurrection, there is assurance that our sins have been dealt with and we will in fact stand before him blameless and pure. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And Christ has proven victorious. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Job now has victory in and through Christ alone. And he will soon, with all of us, be raised and see Christ face to face. So this text is here to remind us and call us to a few things. This text is here to remind us of the seriousness of sin. Although Job was not suffering because of sin, he recognized the seriousness of sin. Job was showing the signs of a true believer. Though confused at times, he was a true believer. The true believer recognizes the seriousness of sin and how sin leads to death and destruction, both spiritually as well as physically. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. There is plenty of false teaching and false teachers out there who try to make light of sin and its effects on creation. But here Job recognizes, and we ought to recognize, the seriousness of sin. So after recognizing the seriousness of sin, this text calls us to deeper devotion to the Lord, despite what happens to us, despite our sufferings. We are called to take up our cross daily and repent of sin. We are to recognize that our time is short in this world. And at any moment, we may appear before the Lord. Are we living in light of this reality? Also, are we living by faith in this reality? By faith in the one who has conquered death and the one who has 
conquered sin. So also, although shouted with doubt, this text is also full of hope. And it calls us to hold on to the hope of the resurrection. All of chapters 13 and 14, Job is contemplating the finality of death. Yet if he is given the chance, he will present himself before God. So deep down, I believe that he had hope in the life to come. There is hope for the righteous even in death. Because just as through one man and his one act of disobedience and sin came death, also through one man and through his one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. Through his one act of righteousness on the cross, he would deal with sin once and for all so that all of us who believe in him would see God face to face. This is how the resurrection, specifically the resurrection of Christ, grants the believer assurance. Assurance of salvation. Assurance that our sins have been forgiven. And assurance that there is more to this life than this life. Remember what Paul preached and delivered to the Corinthians. What was of first importance? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And later he would ask the Corinthians. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Believe it or not. There are so called quote unquote Christian teachers out there today. Who do not believe in the physical bodily Historical, meaning it happened in history, the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they trade the resurrection of Christ for some philosophy for self-improvement. Moralism. They say the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just symbolic for dying and rising a better person each day. That it doesn't matter If it really happened or not. That is not. What the resurrection of Christ is about. Because Paul would go on to say. If Christ wasn't raised. Then we won't be raised. And our faith is futile. And we are still in our sins. Our faith would be in vain. And our preaching would be in vain. What are you doing here? If there is no resurrection of Christ. What are we doing here? No point whatsoever. Are we here for a community? The gathering of God's people is not a community. It is a communion with the resurrected and ascended Lord. It is not a community. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith and hope. And I am here to reassure you that He was raised. And that is the good news that you are to believe. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be raised and you will be saved on that last day. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And he will appear a second time to those who believe not to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly wait for Him. What other hope do we have in this world? 
There is none. Amen.